0: Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. I'm Sean Hennessy, Senior Pastor of Life Church in Green Bay, joined as always by my wife and the lead pastor at Life Church in Green Bay, Sonny Rose Hennessy. Hello, love.
1: Hello. It's been a while since we've done this, but we decided to talk today about spirits. Why? Because the Bible why you ask? Because the Bible talks about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning we don't wrestle against people. We're not we're not in a battle against even our husbands, wives, our enemy, our boss. We are in a spiritual battle. And I think that over the course of decades, especially when People can make the Holy Spirit and the spirit and talk of the spiritual realm weird or it feels kooky or unknown. We just shy away from even talking about it. And uh, with the rise after the fall, we're talking about how does someone fall And how do they get into such sin, right? That's a lot of our stories and conversations have been about people who have fallen. And, you know, we had a saying with our kids that we kind of quit saying so often because it just kind of um, diminished the hurt they would have when we would say, hurt people, hurt people. Mm. And then you're just like, okay, so that means just shut up about that hurt me or hurt my feelings or they're bullying me, but oh, hurt people, hurt people. And so there are some things that we say that there's just, more to it, right? It's more, there's more going on than just hurt people, hurt people, I guess, you know, wipe your hands, move on, have a good day. Life is harder and more complicated than that.
0: Certainly. I think sometimes we focus, particularly in our day and age, there's a lot of focus that's been put on mental health and I'm not trying to diminish mental health. I've had some very real mental health struggles in my life. I have been through counseling. I've been through therapy. I've been through Journey to Wholeness. I've been medicated with an antidepressant. So I am not anti-mental health. I'm not a person to diminish that. But I do think we are in a culture of labeling where we like to put a particular moniker or a particular syndrome on things. And sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it is spiritual. So sometimes there's a person that's doing something or has done something. It's particularly something where it's someone where you're like, oh my gosh, I never would have imagined this. Or that person, a particular person falls, a leader falls, a pastor falls. And then people even who are familiar with him, who are close with him or her, will look and they'll go, oh my gosh, I never saw that side of them. And sometimes it's not a mental health thing. Sometimes it's it's a deeply spiritual thing. Sometimes it is an attack, maybe all the time, even if it is mental health. It's an attack of the enemy, but we, we have shied away from calling those things out in our culture. And I don't know if it's because of fear. I don't know if it's because of bad theology. I don't know if it's because particularly for people like us, you and I who come out of a Pentecostal background where we've been taught that believers can't be attacked or believers can't be what this or Sometimes. that and all of a sudden or or we we put an asterisk on it where we say well you can be oppressed but you can't be possessed and so it's almost like we've been in this if it's a fear it's because we don't want to bring it on ourselves it's almost like i've talked about this many times I don't like to talk about spiritual warfare, although God's had me do a couple of different series that were very intense series on spiritual warfare. And in all of those series, I led with a disclaimer. I don't like to talk about spiritual warfare because when I talk about spiritual warfare, I come under spiritual attack. And I've likened it to when people sit around a campfire and they, and they tell ghost stories. And all of a sudden, you, you weren't afraid before they started telling ghost stories. But once the stories start. And so I don't know if we don't talk about spiritual warfare because of that. But it's certainly way more prevalent now than it feels like it's ever been. And so you and I have been having discussions. You've been talking a lot about spiritual warfare, not just to me, but also here at Life Church. And so we just felt like this is the time that we need to talk about it because maybe there's somebody who is struggling with something and they need deliverance. Mm
1: -hmm. And we do shy away because I even know this Sunday, first service, I talked about Lucifer and how pride came before his fall and his tool is music because he himself was an instrument. As you pointed out, he didn't just sing or play instruments. He himself was an instrument. Mm -hmm. And him being the highest cherubim and above all angels, he was directing the angels because they were there to worship God. And he fell. And so pride is is a, a thing we have to be careful of. And of course we are podcasts called the rise after the fall. So we talk about pride coming before the fall, but then I had this epiphany that Lucifer's greatest tool is music and music has a feeling behind it within it. And so if we don't acknowledge, if Satan can just get us to say, oh, those crazy Christians, you know, back in the 80s, we were told, and as youth pastors in the 90s, we're like, burn the bad CDs. Remember, we'd have a youth night of burning the bad CDs uh, because it was all about the music. Well, that became like a... I don't know it almost looked like a trend among youth ministries but there there was something to it and then there was the era that there's backmasking and you know then there was the era of is there such a thing as the illuminati and why does beyonce have you know uh, goats on stage and yeah. flames and why does sam smith why is he dressed like satan and why does taylor swift have a séance in the middle of her concert and people say they have amnesia when they leave, or that they don't remember that part. And so I was like, why wouldn't Satan use the very thing that he's good at? Because he is an instrument. And so there is spiritual warfare. And the minute I brought it up at prayer time, first service— our worship pastor Shelby said after service, I said, did you feel the yuck in the service, the like spiritual warfare intention? She said, not until prayer time. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like I stirred up a hornet's nest yeah. and the rest of service, it we felt it. Second service, I decided as I was going to talk about Lucifer and music and pride that I just started that prayer was saying, God, I pray a protection and I pray against divisive spirits and spiritual warfare. But even as I finished saying that, I felt like, Sonny, you're so stupid. Like immediately, mm. like you're making this up. You're making it a bigger deal. There aren't spirits here. And yet we had tons of people confirm to yeah. us that they felt it or that they like they needed to hear it. Uh, so I think what we have to establish first is that one the Bible says we are in a spiritual war. Right. It also says we're aliens on this earth. What that means is uh, we're here for a time. We're not here forever. There's a spiritual battle. Satan roams around. He has dominion to roam around and look for who he can destroy. He he uses demons. He has a legion of demons. There are spirits of different kinds. There's spirits of fear, spirits of division, spirits of lust there's i mean if there's a negative connotation and feeling there's a spirit behind it yeah but i think what what is misunderstood or it was for us is that how can a christian be attacked or have anything bad happen to them with demons if they're saved right but that's there's nowhere in the bible that it said that we just i think have passed down through generations if you're bought by the blood and redeemed but the thing is we go, I said this second service, I said, it's like uh, you know, listening to whatever and watching whatever and being in the world around whatever is like eating cheeseburgers all week long every meal, and then on Sunday having a salad at 10 a.m. and thinking that you're gonna that you feel light on your feet and feel good about it. And that you're gonna have good results on your weight and your physique. <laughs> and so what we put in, we're inundated with with gross spirits, with the world. And so to think that that doesn't affect us is
0: crazy. Yeah. I, well, I think where we get it from is that people would argue that darkness and light can't live in the same place. So if you're filled with the light, then darkness has nowhere to be. And uh, maybe some people aren't full of the light. Maybe they, they've got light light. And it's just uh, there's, there's room in them, There's gaps in them. Or, it's
1: funny you brought up light because now there's a counterfeit light. You know, the, the new thing is that the people don't call themselves witches. They don't call themselves like demon worshipers or Satan. They call themselves bearers of light.
0: Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, Satan was a light bearer. <laughs> so think about that. They're just literally, they're literally identifying themselves. They, if they're, if they're, they're aligning themselves with the person who whose mission that they're carrying, if they're calling themselves light bearers.
1: But us Christians, if not knowledgeable on this, we, th- we, we hear that and that sounds good. Like, well, they're not t- saying dark, evil seances. They're saying light. Like, do you need to find the light within? And there's people that are confused that are sitting in churches. So, Certainly. So there's three, there's three things that, there's three levels of uh, spirit activity in someone. There's full possession And this could be someone who's clinically diagnosed as something like narcissistic, uh, disassociation, disorder, multiple personalities. And like you said earlier, mental health and and spirits, they can go hand in hand, which came first. I remember in Bible college, my first counseling course, and they showed us a clinical uh, video of people who had schizophrenia and psychosis, they were in psychosis, all kinds of things. And they got in front of the camera and they started talking to them and then the people started to talk. And it was nonsense. It was it was crazy talk. I mean, it literally, they were just like crazy in the eye and made no sense. And then she shut it off. And I mean, it, it was scary. I remember being like, what is happening right now? And she shut it off. She said, is that demon possession or is that mental health? <laughs> and there there were kids were all you know 18 19 years old come in with all these ideas right yeah. and we were all confused and stunned and couldn't tell you one way or the other to us it looked like both so right. there's or
0: kids who had that experience will certainly say that it's mental health right so if you've experienced something like that and you don't want to acknowledge that it could be the possibility of the other so somebody who's struggled with mental health why would they want to identify as it is some sort of a demonic sort of thing and so obviously it can be it can be slanted one way or the other mm-hmm. and of course when we were in school mental health didn't have the same level of visibility that it has now. Mm -hmm. It's on the forefront now.
1: Mm -hmm. And there's goodness to people being able to be vulnerable and ask for help. We acknowledge that. But, you know, isn't it interesting how the pendulum swings? Nobody talked about mental health and getting help. And now it's labels, talk about it, labels, labels. And there, there are, if we live in a physical body, but it's a spiritual world, then we have to acknowledge this. So there is full possession that would probably look like someone's clinically diagnosed. I mean, we hear people say now, we hear women who talk about their husband, their pastor husband that flipped on them. And they're like, they're a narcissist. And it's like, I just I just go, how are there more narcissists? <laughs> <laughs> like how are suddenly everybody's a narcissist? And it has been overused. The next level is not being possessed, but being oppressed by a demonic spirit. This may look like someone has brain fog. They get confused. They're confusing for you to be around. You're like, wait, I, I love this person or I think they're awesome, but we just left that conversation and I feel like that was in the twilight zone or that was really confusing. Or
0: you feel gross yes. when you leave from it.
1: And you're like, was that just because we like gossiped? But here's an epiphany I had recently. If gossip is as witchcraft, we take that like, Ooh, it's a bad sin. That's why it was compared to witchcraft. Gossip is as witchcraft. And it hit me the other day. You know how when you gossip about somebody, then you see them later, you don't want to look them in the eye? Yeah. It really struck me that the true meaning might not be gossip's really naughty. It's like witchcraft, but it might be as witchcraft because I'm speaking a curse over someone. Therefore, I don't want to look him in the eye because there is a spiritual force field of a curse, but also is gossip like witchcraft that if I'm a gossip I tend to be a gatherer. We know gossips hang with gossips. And I'm gathering like spirits. And I am, am I actually putting a curse over myself, like this demonic witchcraft yeah. over my tongue? And that's why I can't look the person in the eye because this spirit is so strong in me. So uh, there, but then you can be confused because you're like, I don't feel like that person or I am always oppressed or possessed by a demon. So there's, op- there's possession, full possession, level one. Level two, not, pos- not op- possessed, but oppressed. And level three, there's proclivities in a person's personality. They might just be domineering or they might just yeah. be angry. They might not have a spirit upon them. However, when we don't work on that thing that is a crack, demons are looking for a crack. They're looking for an
0: opening. Yeah, they're certainly, they're looking for the word that you said, a proclivity. They're looking for somebody to attract them. So if there's a demonic presence or a demonic being, if you would, that is a, that is assigned to people who have insecurity, then when you live your life in insecurity and you're constantly talking about it, it's interesting that lots of insecure people talk about how insecure they are and they're speaking curses Mm -hmm. over themselves. They're speaking death over themselves. And so if there is a demonic presence that is attracted to insecurity so that it can manifest itself in it and magnify that insecurity, then why wouldn't they be drawn to somebody who has a proclivity to talking about insecurity? And so it's important that we speak life, not only over other people, but over ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I struggle with insecurity. I do but i don't speak it out of myself as if it's a characteristic in me uh, the, or a diagnosis yeah the things that i'm insecure about are self they're, they're self-induced like i'm insecure about my weight but my weight is my fault so is it really an insecurity or is it is it a weakness right? So I say it's an insecurity because I'm embarrassed about it. And that's like the label that our culture has given to anything that you're embarrassed about. Well, I'm embarrassed about my weight, but I'm not embarrassed enough about my weight that I change the things that have caused that weight to happen. And I try to do it and it'll work for a period of time, but then I'll fall back into those old habits. Well, that's not an insecurity. That's a habit it's a trait. That's something that's in me. And, and there are things to counteract that, right? So nobody, nobody gave me the insecurity of being overweight. I gave that to myself, but then society and culture will try to give you outs. It'll always try to give you outs on things that you need to change.
1: They'll call it disease.
0: Yeah. Or, <laughs> well, you just, it's just, it's genetic, genetic with you. I go, no, this, the, if, if it's genetic in me, why was my grandfather who died in his 90s fit as a fiddle?
1: Well, and I want to go there because genetics is definitely being talked about in mental health. So, like, uh, I've heard people who talk about, well, genetically, it's, I'm predisposed to having mental health issues because of my dad and because of his father. But what is failed, what people fail to talk about is. But you weren't abused. Your father was abused right. physically, emotionally. His father was abused and maybe served time in jail. Right. That's not genetic. Like you said, that's life choices. Uh-huh. And that's not God created you with a genetic code for mental health problems. And it's problems. environmental,
0: yeah. right? So if you if you were abused by someone who was abused, but you were less abused than they were abused, they that's the environment that you grew up in, in an abusive environment. Now, if you weren't abused, but your father was abused. And so then you live in that, then that's a demonic spirit Mm -hmm. that I carry a demonic spirit, something upon me that is making you feel like that, even though you've never lived inside of that. So you've got this, whether you call it a diagnosis or whatever it may be, but you've never gone through that, then that's, that's demonic. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and I think we have to point back to what the Bible says about our mind, body, and our spirit. You know, the world has taken that and, you know, created huge books and programs and all of it, you know, mind, body, spirit, yoga studios, mind, body, spirit, that comes from the Bible. And what that's saying is that we, we must be whole and we must get healing from God, mind, body, and spirit, all of them, because they're all interconnected. There's not one without the other. We contain all three. So if I have uh, diabetes, that can affect my mental, health because it's right. overwhelming. Right. I have to, I can't imagine having to test my blood and, and take insulin all of the time. That would take a toll on my mind. Yeah. On my spirit, if I was praying God heal me and I wasn't healed, that would take a toll on my spirit. So even, and, and the, the opposite would be true if I was, you know, very oppressed and abused, there's people that their body starts to give out on them. Because it takes a toll on their body. There's a book called The Body Keeps Score. They're all interwoven. And that's why we don't want to say, we're not saying there aren't mental health issues. Good grief, Journey to Wholeness is about that. But it's bridging neuroscience, the brain and mental health with scripture, which makes it a spirit thing.
0: Right. And there's also some role that we play in the process as well. To go back to your idea of diabetes. Your sister has diabetes and she is insulin dependent, but she eats a bunch of junk food. And so she will use her insulin to counteract what her lack of discipline. Our friend Keith, he... He uses insulin, but he's incredibly disciplined. So he's not using his insulin to counteract it, right? So there's a difference between what is caused by what. And I don't understand diabetes enough to be able to compare your sister and our friend Keith. But what I know is that when I observe both of their lifestyle, Mm -hmm. one of them has had a lot of breakdowns and one of them hasn't. And it's the one who is using their insulin as something to counteract their lack of behavior. And some of us actually use God in that way right? We use God like like we're insulin dependent, but we've just determined we're going to do whatever in the world we want to do. And then we're going to fall back on God. Or we recognize our weaknesses and our fallacies that are within us. And we say, I'm not going to use God as a crutch. I'm going to use him as the strength that I need to make sure that I don't live in those things that are my natural proclivities. And so I have a natural proclivity to be angry, and i i have had a proclivity to be an angry person because i grew up in an angry environment well guess what i don't live in an angry environment anymore so what am i mad about mm. and i've had times where where you or our kids or the holy spirit has said to me bro why are you mad right now like there's days i wake up that. mad yeah i wake up mad why and so if i don't take the time and i talked about this yesterday in my message When I don't spend time in scripture and in prayer in the morning, first thing in the morning to set the standard and the pace for my day, I am like a spiritual Snickers commercial where I just have a whole different identity. And it says, you're not who you are when you're hungry. And I'm that same way. I'm not who I am if I don't spend time in the right spirit. So if we're living in a spiritual world and we wrestle, comma, which is what the, original text says. Paul said, for we wrestle, comma, there's your pause. Not for we wrestle, not against flesh and blood. It's for we wrestle, comma. The promise is that we will wrestle. We're all always going to wrestle, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of a dark age. And so to counteract that, we've got to saturate ourselves with the different spirit. Yes. So I want the spirit. Like we just had one of Isaiah and Aubrey's friends do an internship with us. And so he would regularly come into our house and we always have worship playing on the Alexa. And that made an impact upon him. Well, we don't have it because we're trying to impress people. We have that because if I don't have worship going in my house, I feel a darkness. How do you explain that? I'm a believer. I am blood bought and spirit taught. Everything you want to say that has been used as a euphemism for it. Uh, We are both pastors. Our kids are both called to the ministry. Yet, if we don't infiltrate our house with the right spirits, it feels dark. Mm -hmm. So we have to recognize what it is that we're wrestling against and stop ignoring the simple truth of the matter of the fact that the world... It's funny because I talk to people about uh, Frank Peretti books. And way back in the day when I was first a brand new youth pastor, I mean, I remember reading uh, Piercing the Darkness and This Present Darkness and the the picture that he painted, not just of what demonic, and of course this is out of his imagination, but he has a brilliant imagination in describing demons and describing angels. But what struck me the most is the sheer amount of demonic presence that those books painted the picture of is that it was like a swirling cloud of demonic presence that was over some places. And that the only only defense that we have against that is to pray that the spirit of God would cover us and protect us.
1: Well, in the Holy Spirit, we have one spirit to counteract, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, versus there are legions of strategic demons that are on assignment with specific spirits there are sexual spirits there are spirits of depression and suicide i remember walking no i was driving in tacoma we were youth pastors i was pregnant and I remember driving through the Target parking lot, but right in front of Target before I was going towards a spot. And it was like those movies where everything just goes slow-mo. And mm-hmm. I had paused for someone to cross the street in my, so I, I stopped in my car and it's like everything outside my window slowed down and I saw the person crossing to the right, the person crossing to the left. And then I saw dark, cloudy figures also passing to the left mm. and to the right. Mm. And then white figures. To, and I was like, what has happened? Like I'm blinking my eyes because I am driving. My eyes are awake. I am not asleep. And I felt God say, this is the spiritual realm. Mm. Walking among the people going in and out of Target were dark and light figures. I've never forgotten that. Our son Isaiah has, has had, and, and unfortunately, sometimes when you see the dark realm, you see too much of the dark realm. Yeah. I often say, I wish I couldn't feel the spirits in a room because it. sometimes I want to shut it off. Like I just want yeah. to be in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to be at the game. I just want to be in the restaurant. <laughs> I don't want to have to feel this, right? Yeah. And so, but I, I sense and feel the spiritual realm. So for those of you who are like, okay, well, what are what kind of spirits are we talking and what can we do? And how do I make sure I don't have a spirit? So I want to talk about the Jezebel spirit. The Lucifer spirit we already talked about. It's pride is the pride is your little red flag. I'm speaking in pride. I'm operating in pride. And as you always say, pride is usually masked insecurity. So, like, what's the way way in for pride to take over your life? Often it's insecurity. So there is pride with the Lucifer spirit, but but what is the tool?
0: I say insecurity is pride in its ugliest form. Yeah. So it, insecurity wants us to feel like it's something that is against us, but pride is really something that's within us. And so insecurity is a pride that says uh, not even God is strong enough to fix what's wrong with me.
1: Yeah. And so then what is the tool that the enemy uses? Music. hmm Just period. And like you said, uh, in our home, it's not because I'm always wanting to listen to or sing along with the belonging co. But I know that I'd rather have that spirit flush out the other spirits in the house that tries to get in, walk in, all of that.
0: You know, what's crazy is that there's times, and I've said this to you in passing, but just when you said that about the belonging co, and this isn't a plug for the belonging co. I mean, I love, I love the belonging co. And there's lots of worship groups that I love, but I don't know if you've ever Caught onto this, but there are times when I have told you I've had to turn worship songs off because they made me sad. Isn't that interesting? I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's just uh, that it was a counterfeit thing, that there was a different spirit that was on it. And it's not generally like, I couldn't even tell you who the band was. It'll be like, you know, when you're playing on Spotify or or on Apple Music and when you have a, a particular record on, and then when that record ends, they will come on with suggestions. And so I'll have like a belonging co record on, or, you know, a Bethel or something on, and then that record will end. And then Apple Music will will play something that they think should be recommended to you. And there have been times where I've been listening to a quote-unquote worship song and felt sadness come over me. I had to turn it off. It's just weird. But we talked at great length even on, you did at your prayer spot yesterday, about the spirit. That whatever spirit goes into a song comes out of that song.
1: And it could be the person who wrote the song, composed the song, where they were at yep. spiritually when they when they recorded the song, like it's that powerful. And we're kind of, we're saying, let's sound the alarm. Yeah. This is a big deal. Okay. Then the next spirit. So that's Lucifer, the Jezebel spirit. Now I always thought the Jezebel spirit was what you said about women who were sleaze bags that came in and tried to get a coffee with the pastor. Like, oh, she has a Jezebel spirit. I always thought it was a woman who was sensual with a low-cut dress. I, that's that's what I always thought because one, it's Jezebel. Two, we've heard about yeah, that's a queen, and she had somebody murdered, and we know that there was this sensual thing. But in the Bible, there was Jezebel talked about uh, in the Old Testament, and she was a queen. She was married to King Ahab and she did try to kill Elijah. And she did have someone murdered who didn't do what her husband wanted, but her husband went and pouted because the guy wouldn't sell him his land. And Jezebel's like, let me take care of it and had him murdered by by making up lies about the man who wouldn't sell his field. And then she tried to have Elijah killed because Elijah was calling her out and speaking truth. Yeah. So then in Revelation, they talk about Jezebel again and refer to Jezebel and to that spirit, that Jezebel spirit. So there's some things that I I want to bring out. There's there's two ways in which someone would be susceptible to a Jezebel spirit. And I'm not just going to say this like, watch out because these people come at you. Like, I think we always need to be vulnerable enough to know okay, I'm not open to a Jezebel spirit, am I? Like, I don't want to carry that. Right. I don't. I know as pastors we're open and we could be open and we're susceptible to a Luciferian spirit. Why? Because when you start to succeed, yep. pride can rise up. And out of insecurity in people that succeed, then that pride comes out. Uh, so I absolutely know that. And that's why I think there's more people in music, the music industry, that people say they sold their soul to the devil or why'd they get weird or that music makes me feel that way because that's a luciferic spirit. Okay, but the Jezebel spirit is an attack on leaders and it is a spirit that someone carries. And like I said, there could be those three different levels or layers of how oppressed or possessed is someone to carry it. But I wanna know, what is it that opens that door to carry a Jezebel spirit. First is insecurity. Second is a parent or a father wound. So specifically a father wound, but a parent wound or insecurity. So if you're someone you're like, I really struggle with insecurity and I have a father wound or I have a parent wound. Okay. Just like if you have insecurity, you need to be careful. Pride doesn't take over. Just know that. But in people, when you're like, okay, how do I know if someone's coming at me with that? Were those two of their characteristics? Because what a Jezebel spirit does is they get really close to the leader really quick. So let's say you're a pastor and you're listening or you're in charge of a children's ministry and there's that person that they knew you were the top and they get so close. How they get close, there's two ways. And these are your first warning signs, flattery, and false humility. Flattery for you. You're amazing. You, you, In fact, when you're around them, you feel like a million bucks. Yep. I've had plenty of people that I'm like, I like them. Like bring them around, have them speak in, I call them pocket people. Have them get in my pocket and walk around with me all day in my pocket and just talk in my ear about how great I am. Why? Because I struggled with insecurity. So flattery feeds that insecurity in me. So they flatter and then they have false humility. Then when I turn the tables or you as a leader turn the tables and you look at them and go, oh, I see such great things in you. Oh, no, no, no. I could never. There's a lot of false humility. What they're doing is they're making sure that they're painting the picture. I am not flattering you because I want it in return. And I'm not flattering you so I can get something or get somewhere. But they get as close to the top as they can. And those are the first two ways. So I'm gonna give you some uh, signs or these are some things that the Jezebel spirit will will feel like, let's put it that way. Uh, if you feel like you have a spirit of fear around you and you're like, where'd this come from? I don't, like for me, I don't struggle. I don't watch horror movies. I don't watch Dateline or scary, listen to podcasts. So a, a spirit of fear is not a normal thing for me. So a spirit of fear, Okay, there's a red, a red flag. Uh, do you feel a depression suddenly? There's a spirit of mm-hmm. depression, but the Jezebel spirit contains all of these. What about fatigue? Huh. Are you currently more fatigued than ever? Sickness, frequent or unusual sicknesses or accidents. You know, somebody who's like, there's been COVID and then I was sick with the variant and then I've been sick and then I've had allergies and then I broke my leg and then my daughter broke her arm. And then and you're like, what is this? Um, immorality, this might not even be that you're doing anything, but you're finding you're having temptations or worse, you're having dreams that you wake up and feel guilty about and you don't wanna share with your spouse but you're like, what's wrong with me? Why am I suddenly having sexual dreams? Why am I suddenly feeling tempted? Uh, Idolatry, if you find that you're looking for something to fill the void. Like at during the day, you're like, if I can just get home and have a glass of wine or not even wine, if I, you know what? If I can just have that cheeseburger and you know what? I'm gonna have that every night this week because that'll make me feel better. Idolatry is just filling the void and needing to be happy. And you're finding a way to get that. You, you become a binge watcher suddenly in your fatigue, in your depression, in your sickness. Suddenly you're looking to something for your joy. Uh, Rehearsing your speech to confront or to have a conversation with this person that's newly in your life. And they could be newly in your life if you catch this like right away. For me, sometimes it'll take me a year. Sometimes it's taken me eight years. But what I've noticed is that if I finally was going to confront them, I rarely rehearse anything I'm going to say unless I'm preaching. And I found this with the two people I've now identified as Jezebels in my life that I rehearsed and had notes in my phone to talk to them. These are big, big warning signs. So those are just some, uh, like if you have someone in your life, and frankly, if you have someone in your life, their name already came across your, your brain. You just have enough of a like, hmm... If you have a pause, wouldn't you say, when it comes to spiritual warfare, a pause is a really good sign in itself?
0: Yeah. I think you're either going to have peace or pause. And which one of those you, get, which one of those you lean into is going to determine the value of that relationship. So there's lots of people that I have a peace about, and I lean into those relationships. And then there are plenty of people that I have pause about that if I don't use wisdom, I could tend to lean into those relationships too. And I think anytime that somebody is overly ambitious to be in a tight relationship with you out of nowhere, especially when you're somebody who struggles with relationships, right? If you've struggled with having meaningful relationships or you've struggled with rejection and and all of a sudden you have this person who suddenly all they wanna do is just bathe you in attention and compliments. There's something in you that goes, hmm. And I think far too often we ignore that because we're like, well, the enemy just doesn't want me to have a good friend. Mm-hmm. Or God is saying, hmm. So, I mean, I've been telling our kids their whole lives. What do we do? We pursue peace. And if you don't have peace about that, then you might as well hit the brakes.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's the the Jezebel spirit and then there's the the man she was married to. and and again, this is for men or women can carry the Jezebel spirit. Um, we list I listen and I want to give credit to Robert Morris was a video I just watched of him speaking to pastors yeah and he was speaking on the Jezebel spirit and he said that uh, the four Jezebel spirits that he's dealt with through people, he said, we're gracious with the person. we are not gracious with the spirit. Yeah. Call its bluff. Call it out. And, uh, you know, a, a Jezebel spirit will never concede. It will never agree. It will never repent. It will not tell truth. So if you then, after rehearsing your speech, now you have the conversation and, like, no ownership of anything.
0: Right. And they may even apologize. They but may it's say, how? Yeah, but they'll say, I'm sorry you feel that blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry they you took yeah, it that they way. They won't take ownership yep. of it, but they'll feign An apology, a counterfeit apology. Yes,
1: and so he said there were four men in his life who were four staff members because, you know that wherever you're at in your position in life, the enemy is looking for the closest door. Yeah. And so, you know, and to get to the top, the highest, the fastest. Uh, and this is hard because I also heard, oh, Aubrey came home from PK Vacay and said that the speaker had said the average person loses seven people in their lifetime. Not We're not talking death, right. like grandparents. We're saying seven people that were close to you that walked out. That You were like, what just happened? What, what went awry in our friendship? Seven people will walk out of your life, that average person. Pastors. Lose seven people a year. So when that happens, you get skittish. Like this person actually seems safe. They say nice things. They, they flatter. They're very humble. And, and But then when you find out that was a Jezebel spirit with yeah. ambition, you yeah. said the word, who was ambitious. Uh, you lose confidence in ever being able to read people right. And, and some, you know, an Ahab spirit, now that's another spirit, which this would not be a good spirit. The Ahab spirit is a passive spirit. One that it's not okay to be a peacekeeper. You need to be a peacemaker. Peacekeepers are often that parent or grandparent that when you went and told them, uncle so-and-so molested me. They're like, don't tell anyone. Or the pastor, you don't want to mess up the church. Yeah. You don't want to get the pastor out of the pulpit. You'll end up being a part of sending people to hell. Yeah. Like those, that's a passive spirit that says, "I will not confront. I'm going to be a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker." And an Ahab spirit is one that will tolerate a Jezebel spirit. And I don't also want to have an Ahab spirit. No.
0: But you also you you also generally find those two connected to one another. If you have a relationship and someone has a Jezebel spirit, it would be very common for that person to also be accompanied by an Ahab spirit. And they almost, the Ahab spirit would apologize for the Jezebel spirit, almost to disarm you, to make you go, oh, well, they'll make excuses for them.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I want to give some characteristics, seven things that a Jezebel spirit hates. Authority. The word no, (laughs) losing, rebuke, grace. They don't like grace for others. They like it for themselves. Right. It's law for you, grace for me as a Jezebel. It's you all need to pay, but don't you know my intention is good? That's a Jezebel spirit. Jezebels hate men. And that's not just women Jezebels. Men who carry that spirit don't like men of authority Truthfulness, which makes sense because Satan is the father of lies. Uh, so the Ahab spirit would just say, I can't confront that. In fact, uh, you know, an Ahab spirit might even be the husband of a very domineering, controlling wife who, if allowed, and if she continues down that path, can carry a Jezebel spirit. And a lot of times an Ahab spirit, and some pastors have Ahab spirits, they'll justify the actions of rebellious people so they don't have to deal with it. Or they'll justify the actions of their wife so they don't have to deal with it. Like, well, I mean, she's this way because her dad was abusive and she's never going to domineered again. So she'll be domineering even to me and I'll allow it because I know what she went through.
0: And a Jezebel spirit is not going to attack a spirit of Ahab because the spirit of Ahab is going to enable the spirit of Jezebel. So if somebody has an Ahab spirit and they're connected to somebody who has a Jezebel spirit, they both use each other. And so the Jezebel spirit uses Ahab sometimes for his position and authority because Ahab was the king. So she stole from his authority because he didn't have the courage or the strength to stop her from doing it. But then Ahab also stole from her courage and her strength.
1: To have the guy murdered. Yeah,
0: because he <laughs> she did things that he wasn't willing to do. And so when you have a pastor who is who an, has an Ahab spirit and he has a, a wife or or if it's the, you know what I'm saying? It's the opposite dynamic, then that Ahab spirit is gonna cover up for the Jezebel spirit because the Jezebel spirit is bringing things to that person with the Ahab spirit, almost like uh, spoils of war. Look what I've done for you. And that, uh, the Jezebel spirit, a Jezebel spirit that hasn't been confronted, that doesn't turn on you. I mean, it's not gonna stop complimenting you. It's not gonna stop giving you things, bringing you things like that. I would say a person who uses their finances to control the direction of a church and try to hold their pastor hostage, that is a Jezebel spirit.
1: And then an Ahab says, you know what? Don't upset those people, they're tithers.
0: Yeah. I, heard, I just heard about a church that, uh, you know, we, we take on different locations and there's a location in the country that I, I want desperately for God to give us a church inside uh, this particular city. And there was a church that came open and it was small. It was like seventy people, and uh, but they had like fifteen acres in literally the most expensive zip code outside of California. It was unbelievable the property that they owned, and uh, when we started kind of very small conversations about it, the the one person that I was talking to who was familiar with the church said. Well, I mean, the, the church is really run by one guy because there's like 70 people in the church, but their, but their, their budget was like $770,000 last year. It was mostly given by, by one guy. And that guy, this is what he said, and that guy is leading the search committee and has been open about the fact that he does not want the church to grow. That's a controlling spirit. And my response was that church needs to hire somebody who doesn't need that guy's money. Because that is a, I'm not saying that guy's demonic, I've never met him, but that is a control that a member of the church should not have. First of all, that's that's contrary to God's mission for the church. That the church, a healthy church, healthy things grow. I've heard that at every conference that I've ever gone to. And so if there's somebody who's in there who is hindering that, and if you're a pastor or a leader and you've got somebody within your relational realm who is, who is trying to continually hold you back, hold momentum back, trying to make you feel small, trying to make you feel insignificant, trying to control you. That is a demonic spirit. Likewise, if you're a pastor who is allowing things to come into his church, I would say that you have opened yourself up to a demonic spirit. You are under the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit. If you're allowing anything that is against God's plan to happen in your church, you are under the influence of a contrary spirit to the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk to people about this idea of fallen pastors, do you know how hard it is to raise money? for something that restores fallen pastors?
1: <laughs> Almost impossible.
0: <laughs> Particularly from people who aren't pastors.
1: Yeah, that got hurt.
0: First of all, you would think that lots of uh, lots of pastors would want to help fund something that's to restore pastors. That's not always true. There's some. But secondarily, like if I go and I preach at a church and they talk about what it is that is my mission, why would somebody want to donate? They would go... That guy, he fell in ministry. That dude should go sell shoes at Nordstrom. They're like, why are we trying to get that guy back in the pulpit? Which we're not. That's not the mission and the vision of what the exchange collaborative is. We want to restore people and get them to heaven. And that if they can be fully restored and and the calling on their life is still passionate and they want to do it with full disclosure and covering then we're willing to help them get back in ministry. But that's not the primary goal. But the question that comes up with people is, how is it that somebody could go from being called to suddenly they've had a fall, whether it's been an affair or they've stolen money or whatever that that thing may be, is somewhere along the line, they've opened themselves up to some sort of a demonic spirit. And it comes back to what you talked about, about Lucifer not having instruments, but being an instrument. And that is exactly what the Luciferian spirit turns somebody into. When they become somebody who allows a demonic presence to come upon or within their life, he turns them into an instrument. Somebody who, who is radiating and resonating his presence. And, the, and we've heard that saying before, he's an instrument of this, he's an instrument of that. And so for somebody who, who is a pastor who has led people astray, And I have a theory and I, there'll be people that will debate this on me theologically, but I believe that there are people in ministry who have opened themselves up to things and the devil is blessing them. Mm -hmm. And the devil is causing them to succeed because the devil knows not only the end game, but the end result. He knows that if you are infected with the demonic spirit, there is no way that, that in the end you will not fall. You cannot be infected by a fallen spirit and not repeat their same mistakes. And so for somebody who enjoys this huge success in quote unquote ministry, but all of the warning signs within their life point towards them not being godly people, they're loose about everything that they do and they they can't welcome authority and they go down that list of those seven things. If there's pastors that, that they fall within the list of those seven Jezebel things that you just talked about, seven things Jezebel hates, then that person is probably walking in a demonic anointing.
1: And light bearers. When the Luciferian spirit says, I am at the top. And we've talked about this. All pastors who have any semblance of success have got to be careful because you begin to believe your own press. You become a light bearer. You have the Luciferian spirit of I'm, Look at these people applauding. Look at these yep. people saying amen. And why wouldn't the enemy want to come in? And what are the cracks? Insecurity and a father or parent wound. Yeah, You're trying to, you're, you didn't have a dad. So you're like, I'm going, I, I need an, an attaboy. Nothing's ever enough. And that might be deep in your subconscious. This is why we're like, do journey to wholeness. Because you've got to get to that wound. Insecurity, why are you insecure? To just say, I I need to not be insecure. Well, I've said that to myself my whole life. Don't be insecure, Sonny. And I still have been completely sideswiped by a Jezebel spirit, which preys on my insecurity, but opens themselves up through their insecurity and then comes in to wreak havoc. And a Jezebel spirit's goal is to control and kill. Yes. Jezebel controlled her husband, the prophets of Baal, everyone around her, the narrative, and then she killed. She killed the prophets, and she tried and she killed the the farmer, and she tried to kill Elijah.
0: Yeah. Well, when you said the purpose is to steal and kill, that's the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so I think for a practical. Standpoint to kind of bring this thing to uh, a conclusion. I would say research some of this stuff if you're listening to this and you and and maybe this is new to you or you've kind of been like oh you know whatever. Research this stuff for for two reasons. Number one, do you see any of this in you? And if you do, seek wise counsel in how to have deliverance from that. Deliverance has gotten a bad name. Mm-hmm. Deliverance has been like, become so weird. No, we're in the deliverance business, right? So we deliverance wanna Can the-
1: pray Deliverance can be, Lord, I pray, Jesus in Jesus' name, I pray against the spirit of fear. I yeah. pray against the spirit of control. God, I pray against the spirit of Jezebel in and around my life. In my marriage, if I have characteristics or proclivities in my personality, I pray against the spirit of Jezebel upon me as a woman, upon you as a man. I pray against the spirit of division in our church. I pray that, God, you would expose, bring to the surface demonic spirits. Yeah. Yeah, it's stirring up a hornet's nest, but I would much rather live in the light and the knowledge than... I mean, a lot of people, they would rather live in the dark about things, right? Oh, like, I don't want to watch that show about, um, you know, black history. Like, that's depressing. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah, it's very depressing, but it's real. Or I don't want to, I don't want, like, I don't want to go to the new Jim Caviezel movie. Because my season in Brian did sex trafficking awareness in a home. Yeah, I know the stories of real girls I met in person and worked at the exchange for us. I actually don't want to know anymore about sex trafficking. I get it. Cognitive dissonance. Our brain actually is like trying to say, less please, less please. So in this situation, I know that not only is it a spiritual battle that Satan wants to shut us down from talking about spirits in the spiritual realm, our brain is saying enough already. Cognitive dissonance. I I don't want to go there. And, And I just know that if we're to turn anything back on. Let's turn on the light, shine the light on the spiritual realm and quit avoiding it.
0: Yeah, well, and back to the deliverance thing, I would say what we need to understand is that salvation is for the lost and deliverance is for the church. Once they're saved, they need to be delivered. And so I don't know where in the world we started to think that deliverance was weird. There's things I know I need to be delivered from, and and I've known for a long time that I need to be delivered from them. And I don't, I don't. Uh, let me put it in like such a small cookies on the bottom shelf line. I've known for years that I shouldn't be drinking diet soda, and I know that because my Holy Spirit named Sonny has been telling me and telling me all of the studies and all of the research and all of the stuff and the bloating and all this stuff, and and finally. Like I just, I just finally, one day I was like, I need to stop this. It's a character thing for me. Now, I don't care what people do. You drink all Diet Coke you want, whatever. I wasn't drinking Diet Coke. I was drinking Pepsi Zero. And and I just stopped. And it's been like uh, just a few weeks ago. I just stopped. And, and I actually thought I was going to see results. I haven't seen any results. I didn't lose any weight. And my brother-in-law, Sage, muscle, Mr. Musclehead, he's like, bro, I lost 15 pounds. Stop drinking soda. Oh, whatever, bro, i stopped drinking soda and I didn't lose any weight. But I, st- I don't want to go back on it just because I haven't seen results yet. I mean, m- think about this. Maybe, maybe there's negative results that I was going to see if I wouldn't have stopped that I haven't seen. So anyway, my point being, just because you don't see results right away doesn't mean you don't need deliverance from something. And so number one, if you're, these are the two things, practicalities. Number one, if you see something in yourself on self-analysis, seek deliverance. Tell somebody, about it. Like, I, I just know that if I have a temptation in a particular area, I have a couple of guys in my life that I can go to, and I'll tell them, and I need them to hold me accountable. Secondarily, if there is somebody in your life who you see these things in and recognize, number one, you should probably distance yourself from them. If you're in a relationship with somebody who has a Jezebel spirit, that you're not going to change them. Pray for them.
1: Don't be gracious to Don't, don't be, gracious be gracious to the, to the Spirit. spirit.
0: But don't allow that spirit to be around you. But you need to recognize it. And if they're on your staff, and this is the thing that was so brilliant about uh Robert Morris and his message. He said, Man, I just had to go in and I just had to go in and fire those guys. And so it's interesting the things that we'll tolerate because we're scared. So we won't confront spirits because we're afraid of them. And then we'll talk about how you know the spirits come back stronger. And yes, that's true. If you're trusting in your own ability. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the key. Where in your life are you not filled with the Holy Spirit? Where are you not depositing him into your life? Is it through the things that you're allowing yourself?
1: Well, and you said it yesterday in your message, give us this day our daily bread, new every morning, like I have the Holy Spirit and my refilling yeah, all the time. Yeah, It's not a, one time I got delivered from a spirit of fear. One time I asked the Holy Spirit in my life and I haven't said anything since. <laughs> That's not going to cut it.
0: Yeah, and we, we can, I mean, we could talk about this uh, for a lot longer. Maybe we'll come back and do another episode about it. But I think more than anything, we are in a time where God is trying to bring awareness to this. There is an increased activity in the demonic. And it is not just in the exterior, it is in the interior. There is an increased activity in the demonic among the church because the devil is trying to kill the church. And so he is infiltrating churches with demonic spirits and some of those are standing behind the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And so if you recognize that in yourself, seek help. If you recognize that in someone else, you need to distance yourself from that person and pray for them. Don't just distance yourself from them, but pray for them and pray that God would deliver them. And uh, if you're a pastor who you're listening to this or a leader who's listening to this and, and you recognize that you've got some things in you that maybe you need deliverance from, I don't know if you know anybody in your area who operates in deliverance, but we certainly would love the opportunity to pray with you and for you. We would love the opportunity to have you Uh, either come to Green Bay, Wisconsin, or to come to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, to one of our Journey to Wholeness centers, and would love to put you through not just deliverance for your spirit, but deliverance for your mind, your heart, and your soul. And so you can find that on our website, or you can reach out to either Sunny or I on our social, or uh, she's giving our cell phones out on here in the past you can
1: contact us and we do reply and people are shocked
0: we certainly do Yeah, but I want you to know that if you are under this or you're experiencing this this is not final failure is never final and that there is hope there is hope in Jesus there's hope in the power of the Holy Spirit and so become proactive in this because we want you to know that no matter what you're going through there is a rise after the fall
1: Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early... Season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve. Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting, we're hosting the betrayed, we're restoring the betrayer. Uh, and so now we have a campus to do that on, a a 20-acre property to do that on, as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at, coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's $54,000 a month. Then after that, the $1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than $54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with $600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have 1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground, but I feel, (laughs) this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation. And they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, They gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land. And to give them land they owned, and they basically were given about $8 million. From their million dollars, they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference, and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're gonna give you 1.8, you'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're gonna give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're gonna give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.